Well, this is the last week in our sermon series, Beyond the Key to a Successful Journey, and I get to talk to you about the importance of community. We are never, ever designed to do this journey alone, ever. That was never part of God's intention. And we know this because if you look at the Bible right from the very beginning, he establishes that we are always intended not only to be in relationship with God, but that we are intended to be in relationship with other people. When Adam and Eve were created, man was one, and God said it is not good for him to be alone. And as much as we look to that for the relationship between a husband and wife, it extends far beyond that. We see that as God continues his work in the Bible, he establishes a nation from Abraham. He uses that nation, or at least intended to use that nation, to bless the world around them. And from that, we move into the New Testament, and we see that even when Jesus was walking on this earth, he surrounded himself with his disciples. He had the 12 disciples. And this helps for us to understand that we were always intended to be in community, always intended to be in relationship, and we were never intended to do this alone, ever. We're starting off by looking at Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Jesus is speaking his final words before returning to the Father God, and he is leaving his disciples, and this is what it says. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's really interesting when you start to break this down. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me when I was looking at this verse was a couple things. Well, there was a couple things that stood out. The first thing that stood out to me was the phrase, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Even at that point, it's interesting to me that even at that point, some of Jesus' disciples still had questions in their minds. And Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's almost like he was just reestablishing to them, you've got nothing to be afraid of. Not only do I have all power and all authority, but I'm going to be with you always. The interesting thing about the disciples is when we read through the list of the disciples in a couple of the different Gospels, they point out who they are. They make a point of pointing out certain ones especially. Now, most of us know that Matthew in particular was a tax collector. And we know that tax collectors were not well loved by their community. And the reason was with the Roman occupiers, the tax collectors actually joined with the Romans or went in cahoots with the Romans and collected taxes from their own people. Not only that, they would 
then be given allowance by the Romans to take as much extra money as they wanted to kind of supplement their income. And so tax collectors were known as cheats, they were known as traitors, they were known as basically the lapdogs of the oppressors. And here's Matthew, in amongst the 12 disciples. The other person who gets highlighted in almost every list is Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon was the complete opposite of anyone who would compromise. If he's a zealot, it means he's a religious zealot. It means he's hardcore. He follows the law, and he is ready to fight, even to the death, anyone who goes against it, anyone who compromises, anyone who goes in cahoots with the oppressors, the Roman authorities, people who are trying to overthrow the kingdom of God. So now you look at these two disciples, Matthew, the tax collector, is in a group of Jesus' followers with Simon the Zealot. I was listening to someone talk about this this week, and they said, it is intentional that these two people are highlighted in the Bible. And it's for us to remember that when it comes to our relationship with Christ, he brings unity between the most surprising people. I digress. <laughs> I just found that so interesting. Let's also highlight Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. So you look at this group, you have a person who's ready to kill possibly for what he believes in, for falling hard in the kingdom of God. You have a person who has compromised in more ways than we could ever possibly imagine. And then you have the guy who actually betrays Jesus. And they're all a part of the group of Jesus' disciples here on earth. Interesting. We finish the Gospels, and you continue to look at the Bible, and the rest of the Bible, what is it dedicated to? It's letters to churches. Letters to churches on how to get along, how to function in the world around them, how to spread the good news of Jesus. So we know that community is important. It's throughout the entire Bible. We were never intended to do this alone. He built this community of a variety of people. He encouraged them, recognizing that they were all different and in different places. He gave them a directive in this passage to spread the good news and to disciple others to do the same, and he reminded them that they are not alone. So first off, we need to recognize that we need each other to grow. It is essential. We need each other to grow. It's funny, when I got married, <laughs> I had this very romantic notion of what marriage was gonna be like. I'm telling you right now, John has been intentionally and not so intentionally the catalyst for me growing closer to God in ways I never could have imagined. There is something about being in relationship with someone in the good times and in the bad, in agreement and in disagreement, that when Jesus is our center, drives us closer to him. And that's by design. God wants us to be closer to him 
And one of the primary ways he does this is through our relationships with other people. And I have to tell you, you do not grow closer unless there is a reason to grow closer. Conflict drives you closer to God. Loss drives you closer to God. Grief drives you closer to God. Fear, uncertainty, those things drive you closer to God. As much as we hate those things, they terrify us. They are what drive us to our knees, drive us to call out to him. And one of the primary ways that God wants us and uses our community in us is for us to grow, to spur one another on. Now, I'm not saying go around and start irritating people on purpose. That's just messed up. But what I will say is when you start to feel someone is rubbing you the wrong way, instead of complaining or grumbling about it, pay attention to it and ask God, how are you wanting to use this situation for me to grow closer to you? Oftentimes we're like, well, I should just pray for the person. Yeah, you should. But you also need to pray for your own heart. Because the way that God leads us into deeper growth, he leads us into deeper relationship with him, is by developing more patience, more love, more kindness, more goodness. I'm telling you right now, patience does not develop when everything is going smooth. It just doesn't. The fruit of the Spirit, they... There has to be little things that move us in that direction, little things that push us further. It's like building muscles. You have to stretch the muscles beyond their limit for them to get stronger, and it's the same thing with us. And one of the ways that God does that is through relationship with each other. We're supposed to encourage each other to build each other up. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Do you know that in the New Testament, all these letters to the different churches, a lot of times we focus on the letters that Paul wrote. They're written by several different people. They're written by Paul, of course. There's Peter. There's John. And then there's the book of Hebrews, but we're not quite sure who wrote that. You have to know that this was a major thrust of the New Testament church, the early church, was pushing people to remember Love God and love each other. And loving each other is hard, but this is the community God has brought you into, and you need to love each other and love each other well. Ephesians 2, 19 to 21 says, you are members of God's family, and together we are his house, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple. The interesting thing is, um, churches are supposed to be, um, they're supposed to be a mishmash of people. I'll be honest, there's people in this church that outside of church I would never hang out with. Really. But there is a bond between us that is stronger than anything. It's stronger than blood. 
It is Jesus. And he connects us and hold us, holds us together. The Bible says we are like a building, and he is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is what keeps the house level. It keeps it together. It keeps it unified. It keeps it strong so that when the storms come against it, it's anchored and solid and it holds together. Jesus is what holds us together. Not whether or not we like the same music, not whether or not we read from the same translation of the Bible. Some people like King James, some people like NIV. The reality is, that is not what holds us together. Jesus is what holds us together. We stick to God's word, we stick to Jesus, we get held together. Even Romans goes on to say, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, and you may think, well, that's a very personal thing. It is, but in that same chapter of Romans 12, he goes on to write, Use your gifts to serve the community of believers. Don't just pretend to love others, but really, really sincerely love them. He says, don't be lazy, work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope in Jesus. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, who give you a hard time. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Interesting thing about harmony is, harmony is made up of all different notes, but when they are together, they make beautiful music. Harmony doesn't mean singing the same song or I should say, singing the same notes all the time, it means you're singing the same song together. Different voices making a beautiful, beautiful song. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. You know, the most awful thing about sin in any state is it brings separation. It brings separation between us and God and it brings separation between us and other people. Because when we sin, a lot of times that shame comes in and we begin to isolate and pull away from people. And the reality is Jesus came to bring unity and wholeness and oneness. And all that brokenness was supposed to be rectified through Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we forget that we are, as a congregation, supposed to function as one. We're supposed to protect that with everything that is in us. We're supposed to protect each other. We're supposed to stand together. Ephesians 4 encourages us, be humble and gentle, be patient, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. 
We need to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The interesting thing about a church community is we really are supposed to start to look each other, like each other. We're supposed to look like each other, not because we all start to think and act the same, but because each one of us in our relationship with Jesus is supposed to be coming more and more like him. And if each one of us is becoming more and more like Jesus, then we begin to look more and more alike because we're all beginning to look more like him. That's what we're supposed to be doing, pursuing Jesus and encouraging each other to pursue Jesus. Making every effort, binding ourselves to each other. This is really important because we need relationship with each other to display who Jesus is. When Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to go and make disciples. And one of the primary ways that people understood who they were and who they followed was by their love for each other. Jesus even said, they'll know you are my followers, my disciples, because of your love for each other. Simon, you're a zealot. They'll know that you're my follower because of your love for Matthew, the tax collector. James and John, sons of thunder, you guys may argue and fuss and fight, but you need to know that your love for each other displays that you are my followers. We need to understand that our relationship with each other, our commitment to loving each other, displays the work of God in our midst. You don't need to go very far out these doors to see the division that is out in the world. People will try to disguise it as an effort to bring oneness, to bring equality and bring all these different things together, but it's a false ideal. The only one who can bring unity, the only one who can bring wholeness, the only one who can bring oneness is Jesus. That is the only way. And the world needs to see that. And the only way they'll see that is if we're living that. If we are displaying Christ's love to one another, they will see that there's something different going on inside our community. There's something different about us. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. The church of God is the most 
ethnically and culturally diverse faith in the world. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, at its heart, is to bring unity and wholeness and oneness to a world that was broken apart by sin. That's why Jesus came. To unite us. This one time, I can remember I was in a prayer meeting um, with a couple pastors at a church I was working at. And one of the pastors that was in the prayer meeting was from a Taiwanese congregation that was renting from us. And I remember we were praying, taking turns praying. And um, Pastor Peter prayed first. And he prayed in Taiwanese. And I didn't understand what he was saying. I don't speak Taiwanese. And um, after he finished praying, then I prayed. And... He came up to me after the prayer meeting was done, and we could just feel God's presence in that room as we prayed. We could just sense it. And he came up to me afterwards, and he's like, Carolee, do you speak any Taiwanese? And I thought that was the strangest question. I'm like, no, I don't. And I thought maybe he was going to offer to like teach me a couple words or something. He goes, I need to tell you that when you prayed, you prayed the exact same prayer that I prayed. God brings oneness. He brings wholeness. He brings restoration and hope to a world that is broken apart. And one of the primary ways he does that is by using us to display his love and his mercy and his grace. And it doesn't matter what language we speak. It doesn't matter what social class we come from. He brings oneness and wholeness. He brings hope to a world that is lost. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11 says this, God's purpose in all of this, listen carefully, was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you hear that? All the enemies, all the spiritual forces that are against God, Jesus brought us into unity with him and with each other so that he can say, your days are numbered. Look at what I'm doing. Look at my people loving each other, supporting each other, growing each other. You have zero chance because I am working in them. They are loving each other and I am leading them. But this is not in and of our own strength. Paul goes on to write, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete 
with all the fullness of life and power that come from God. I would argue that in, in a battle, it is far easier to stay focused and united when the enemy is obvious. If we lived in a place, heaven forbid, where it was illegal to be a Christian, can you imagine how much we would rely on each other? How much we would turn to each other? How much we would have to trust each other? We'd have to help those who would be arrested. We'd have to pray for those who are being persecuted, who are being belittled, for those who have property removed from them, who are left out on the street. We would be having to support them and provide for them. Our enemy is unseen. In North America, we have the privilege of not worrying about stuff like that. We don't suffer persecution like that, but you have to know that there is still an enemy that is working against God's church. We need to be healthy. It doesn't matter what ministries we plan and program for. It doesn't matter what buildings we build. It doesn't matter what songs we sing. If we don't have unity, if we are not a healthy spiritual congregation, it's all moot. It's all decoration. Good works are just good works if we're not obeying Christ and we're not loving each other. Might as well go join the Shriners. Honestly, like, not that I have anything against them, but our motivation here is so much deeper and so much more important than just doing good. That's part of our relationship with God, is loving each other and loving the world around us and reaching out to them, taking care of the poor, the hopeless, providing answers to their pain and their suffering and desperation. But you have to know that it goes so much deeper than that. We have to be healthy as a congregation. We need each other. We need each other to grow. We need each other to display the love of Christ. And we need each other to support one another in the spiritual battles we face. And we do face them. We need to be persistent in our prayers for each other. Persistent in our prayers for this church community. We have long-term plans for this church. We need to be praying praying so much because we need to know that we are obeying God. We are following his will. Not only that, for the leaders in our church, our board and the pastors, for the leaders in different ministries, for our congregants, we need to be praying protection over them because you know what? As soon as God starts to use us, the enemy is going to come against us in full force. We need to be praying hard.
Hebrews 12, 14 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that no one fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as a firstborn for a single meal. We need to be helping each other guard our hearts. Really. We need to be helping those who are struggling in sin, sharing one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2 says, gently and humbly help those who are struggling in sin, share each other's burdens. If you think you're too important to help, you're fooling yourselves. Let us not get tired of doing what is right. Esau treated his birthright, his future, everything that would have been promised to him, he treated it for a cup of soup. This world outside is telling people, you want to be happy? Do this. Immediate gratification. You want to, you want to, you know, experience love? Do this. You want to have this? Be successful? Do this. Compromise. Lie. Steal. Cheat. Do whatever you have to to make a go of it. They are trading their future hope for a bowl of soup. And we are commanded, we're told, we're instructed, we're encouraged to protect one another from making that compromise, from making that decision. Giving up our birthright, the promise, the hope of Jesus for sin, for deception, we're supposed to be protecting each other. I can remember taking swimming lessons when I was growing up and getting the basics of lifeguarding. I never took lifeguarding, but as you get to a certain level, they give you the basics of what to do. And one of the things they said was, if someone is in the water and you're on the shore or on a dock, you need to make sure that you lay down flat on the ground before you reach to pull them out. Because you need to make sure that you are not going to go in after them. Same with if you're walking on ice. Growing up in Cornell, the lakes would freeze over. And if somebody fell into the ice, you knew you don't go running after them and lean over the edge and try and pull them out. You need to call for help or you need to get something that disperses your weight. A piece of plywood. Even spreading out spread eagles so that your weight is dispersed so that you don't go in after them. But the number one rule for swimming, for going out on the ice, for going hiking or camping is what? Don't ever go by yourself. Don't ever go alone. Always have someone with you. So that if one of you falls, someone's there to pull you out. If someone gets hurt, there's someone there to go get help or to, to help you get down the trail. Don't go it alone. We were never intended to do this journey alone, ever.
James 5 says, be patient as you wait for God to fulfill his promises and for Christ's return. Don't grumble against each other. Be trustworthy. Pray together in hardship. Celebrate victories. Pray in sickness. Confess any sin. Be a place of hope, safety, support, restoration, and healing. I'm just giving you the synopsis. We have exciting times ahead of us. We are looking forward to what God wants to do in our congregation and through our congregation. But in these exciting times, we need to realize that this needs to be something that drives us closer together. This isn't something we can do by ourselves. We need to be united and to be fiercely united. Because I will tell you right now, the right ministry is not going to just, or I should say the right program is not going to grow this church. The right building is not going to grow this church. What will grow this church is the Spirit of God moving in our hearts through unity into our community. That's what our community needs. That's what we need to be committed to. We watched uh, Black Hawk Down a few weeks ago, my husband and I. I love that movie. It's a little bit violent because it's about a war situation. Over in Somalia, that happened several years ago. But the interesting thing, and part of that, um, they have this one character, his name is Hoot. He's actually based on a real guy who's now a pharmacist in the United States. And, and he is talking, he works, he's special, for, special forces, works with this unit uh, during this um, battle over in Somalia. And he says, people will always wonder why you fight this war, why you go to battle, why you're a soldier, why you do this, why you do that. And he goes, it's not about politics. It's not about what's going on even in the country. It's about the person next to you, making sure they get home to their family. This church is united. It doesn't matter what our politics are. It doesn't matter what our background is. We need to be concerned about making sure each one of us makes it home to Jesus. That we get to see him face to face. Not just that I get to see him or that you get to see him, but each one of us gets to see him face to face. So we come alongside each other. We speak truth in love. We encourage one another. We build each other up. We support each other. We provide for each other when we need that. We work together. We stay united because Jesus is our cornerstone, because the Holy Spirit is at work in us, and because we can display God's love to a world that is lost and dying and in need, desperately in need of hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person who is here. I thank you for the people who are joining us online. God, I pray, 
Holy Spirit, that you would move in each one of our hearts, God. Help us to be more unified. Help us to draw closer to you, Jesus, and help us to draw closer to each other. God, help us to be open to the areas of growth where we need to grow, God. Show it to us. God, guard our mouths against grumbling. Guard our hearts against bitterness. Help us to fiercely protect the unity in this congregation, God. Help us to move forward in the power of your spirit, God. Help us to pursue you with passion and fire. Ignite in us a hunger for you, a hunger for your word, for truth. Ignite in us a hunger to worship you more deeply, more profoundly than we ever have, God. Help us to seek you, God. Help us to desire to live righteously, God. Help us to be a light in a dark place. Help us to love each other. Help us to display your love and the hope that you bring to the world around us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. We love you, God.